Support for this episode comes from Tanks and Vessels Industries. For over 40 years, TVI has been a leading supplier of new and used tanks, process equipment and pumps to the brewing industry. It holds the world's largest selection of used stainless steel tanks in the world, all available immediately at cost-effective prices from their 52-acre Doncaster site. TVI works with hundreds of brewers, both large and small, up and down the country and across the world, creating bespoke solutions to brewing problems. Tanks and Vessels has worked hard to gain its reputation as the most trusted, experienced and professional supplier of new and used brewing equipment. To find out more, search www.tanksandvessels.com to view their expansive product range. With a brand refresh and expansion under its belt, 2019 has been another successful year for South London's Gypsy Hill Brewing Company. But for brewery co-founder Sam McMeekin, now is not the time for the UK's independent craft breweries to rest on its laurels. There are challenges ahead, he argues, and they need to be faced head on. In this podcast, McMeekin tells Brewers Journal editor Tim Sheehan how the brand refresh followed Gypsy Hill completely redoing its brew house and fermentation cellars, as well as layering in a whole load of new technology. McMeekin, who founded Gypsy Hill with Charlie Shaw and Simon Wood in 2014, is proud of the brewery's independence. However, he's also mindful and aware that the independent brewing sector needs to do more to help its cause in an increasingly competitive landscape. Okay, Sam, uh, thank you very much for having us here today at your beautiful brewery and fantastic tap room. One of the best, if not the best in the UK, may I add. Um, so tell us, how has the UK treated you and Gypsy Hill? In 2019? Uh, it's, yeah, it's been, a, it's been another wild year. <laughs> each, each year seems to be pretty wild, doesn't it? Um, no, this one's been good. There have been, so 2018 was the first year we didn't expand. So it felt like a holiday compared to previous years and indeed this one. Um, this year we doubled our capacity as a brewery, which is exciting and hell at the same time. So we, we went from a max capacity of about 8,000 heck, maybe 10, to um, a theoretical max of 23,000 now. Um, we're at a run rate at the moment of about 13, 15,000. And this year we'll do about 11 or 12 um, we've only had the expansion since sort of this month really September we started brewing more um, and we'll only be able to hit the max capacity like operationally um, by around Jan Feb um, you know we're just doubling down on the technology we've built in a PLC to our system so now we've got a tiny amount of automation before we had none um, so just making sure these kind of things are all right and good. Um, we need to get right before we try and really hit like 90, 95% capacity. And you've invested in other equipment alongside the FE capacity as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we got four really big ones, um, to use a technical term, uh, 120 heck ones, which are double size for us. <clears throat> and, uh, we got a whirlpool. So our brew house goes from two tanks to three. Uh, really that just means we can brew twice in an eight hour shift. Uh, which is which is great because we can 
you know, we can keep things single shifts. One of our goals is to be a single shift brewery. So we're, we're, we're brewing in the same shift that we're packaging and cellaring, as well as doing all our logistics. We don't, well, for now, don't want to do shift brewing because it, it, it puts the culture under strain. You know, it's tough for the team. Um, you have to hire more people, which in of itself is, is fine. But um, if you can get away with having less, you can invest more in their training. You can invest more in the team. Um, you can be tighter, more focused, that kind of stuff. So it's been important for us to, to try and avoid um, shift brewing where possible. Uh, and yeah, that Whirlpool helps with that. The great thing really about um, expansion is you can build in a lot of technological sort of advancements that you've wanted to do since you last redid your brew house pipe work, for example. So it's, it's been really great to, to put some of that in. Um, probably our, our most uh, excited um, element is we now added a souring kettle as well as our Whirlpool. So whereas before we could do basically a sour a month, um, we can now do one a week. Yeah, I mean, you know, Hepcat's our mainstay. It's 40% of everything we do. Um, and uh, that's, you know, that's not going to change anytime too soon. It doesn't look like it's, um, you know, a, a, we'd like to think a great version of Session IPA out there. And, um, and it's still really popular. So, you know, but at the same time, I sort of, I sort of say we have uh, unofficially the smallest core range in the UK <laughs> up until about two weeks ago. It was just Hepcat and Beernick. So two beers, um, which is almost silly in terms of how small it is. So tell us about the, um, the brand refresh and that reimagining of the core range. Yeah, well, so, you know, the bigger core range comes hand in hand with more capacity, right, for one. Like, we wouldn't have been able to do it if we hadn't been able to increase capacity. So given that we were doing that, we wanted to try and pull in some of our learnings over the last two years into a, a bigger core range. Um, you know, we've had a lot of fun doing about four new beers a month for the last 24 or even 30 months. Um, so we felt like we've done a lot of experimentation and got our arms wrapped around styles that are popular and ABVs that people go for and this kind of stuff. So um, we just felt we we're in a strong position to actually roll out something that could um, could be core and could be could be well liked. Um, so yeah, gone to six um, with a broad range of things from a micro IPA up to a, uh, a like a full-on hazy-ish um, IPA at 5.4 percent. So for me, obviously, there's this band Block Party been around for a while, and uh, each uh, each album, <laughs> each album, one of the members of the band would get to influence the direction that that particular album would go in. So uh, if it was a rockier one or a dancier one, you obviously put out a lot of beers with the quality and consistency high throughout. Is it, do you have that sort of similar sort of democracy in which direction you're going with with particular beers? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we say as a production team, at least uh, five or six of us twice a week um, and discuss everything that we're going to do. Um, you know, the... The actual production strategy, I guess, at a very high level, um, it sort of comes down to me and Charlie. Um, but at the same time, the specials that we're brewing and the way that we brew them is is our production team, you know, and uh, and no no more than that. I mean, you know, the development of our fruited sour series, not that it's a series, but we basically do one a month. You know, how that's changed in terms of how we're making them has come from. A lot of research, a lot of trips to CBC and to other places where we've learned new techniques and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's entirely bottom-up driven by the by the team and then bring in ideas to the table. Um, and the same applies to you know, the IPAs and the different ways that we're 
treating the beers both hot and cold side, dry hopping and otherwise. So, um, I mean, democratic, like for sure up to a point, like direction is probably quite well coordinated, I guess. But um, yeah, you know, we're not, this is not a, a dictatorship. Support for this episode comes from Tanks and Vessels Industries. For over 40 years, TVI has been a leading supplier of new and used tanks, process equipment and pumps to the brewing industry. It holds the world's largest selection of used stainless steel tanks in the world, all available immediately at cost-effective prices from their 52-acre Doncaster site. TVI works with hundreds of brewers, both large and small, up and down the country and across the world, creating bespoke solutions to brewing problems. Tanks and Vessels has worked hard to gain its reputation as the most trusted, experienced and professional supplier of new and used brewing equipment. To find out more, search www.tanksandvessels.com to view their expansive product range. Good to hear. Good to hear. And I'm excited to eventually taste the um, fruits of the, uh, the the barrel aged beers that you're moving into. That sounds like an exciting period for the brewery. That will be, I mean, that'll be great. That was, um, I mean, that's sort of one of the last parts of our, of our expansion too. We got a whole new unit and in that unit is where a lot of our new uh, FEs have gone. That's kind of where the seller capacity increases has happened. But we only used half of the space for, for like stainless steel FEs. So the other half, we were like, well, it would be great to actually do a proper barrel aging program. In our tap room, we've had beer sitting in a somewhat random collection of barrels, you know, for a long time. Um, occasionally we try them, occasionally we, we pull them out. We might have like a special beer that's on the bar or something as a one-off thing. But, you know, barrel aging programs are, are different to that. And it's, uh, it's something that's much more like carefully done. It's got uh, direction. It's got real investment in it. You know, I'd like to have photos. Um, you know, we'd like to get some more machinery so we can actually use, you know, locally sourced fruits, like this kind of stuff. And when you've got that kind of flexibility, then you really, you know, then that's really great. Definitely. And with that, you talk about direction, the, um, with the brand refresh, you've now got, I suppose, something of a mission statement. Can you tell us more about how that came about? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it was it was literally last November, which is now a year when Charlie and I sat down and we said, okay, we're going to increase in capacity. Uh, we should increase our core range. What what is that? What's that going to look like? Um, and we realised that as we were trying to conceive of what it would all look like, that we weren't necessarily sure that our brand message was was terribly obvious. Um, and so that started a whole thing of okay you know what, what is it we need to know exactly what it is in order to roll out um a, a new core range um and so the next six months are really spent digging into well, what do we stand for and why do we stand for it and what are our values what's the mission how does that tie down into our brand vision and all that kind of stuff um and at the end of all of that yeah we got to um we got to a place that we were really happy with that we felt we felt it was what we were doing anyway but just packaged up into something that's a bit neater. Um, our old phrase, drink it and talk to people, was, was fun. And it's one of the things that Charlie and I like, sort of decided, I guess, on almost day one, sitting in an empty warehouse with two seats and a table. Like, who's Mr. Gypsy Hill? What's our avatar? Oh, drink it and talk to people. That sounds, 
normal and that sounds like it reflects us well but um it's, it's really just updating that it's refreshing in a bit and so we got to brewing a better life and um you know that's that sums up a lot about what's important to us at, at gypsy hill um you know when we kind of started this because we had kids and wanted to have something meaningful that we were doing when we're not with them um something that stood for something something that we could be proud of um and at the end of the day um you know brewing has been the vehicle to allow that to happen for us and i hope for for everyone who works here too um the pride that we take in our product in our branding in our brewery in how we treat each other is uh is all built into, um, you know, the, the beers and in, into our lives as well. So we're trying to encourage and enact brewing a better life by having policies that reflect that at the brewery. Um, actually, today we've rolled out a couple because today is actually the first day of our new financial year. And so it makes a bit of a watermark. So like we now, for example, allow four hours of volunteering every month for every employee that's fully paid. So it's like one way of trying to build into culture here. Um, just, I mean, a bit more meaning. Um, and that's sort of what Brewing a Better Life is all about. And you've proudly spoke at our events as well on, um, your, yeah, I suppose your, your pride at being an independent brewery, an employer, and part of a vibrant, burgeoning, independent brewing scene. What are challenges to uh, the ongoing success of, of breweries like Gypsy Hill? Wow, that's a hell of a question, <laughs> Like, they're, they're numerous. Um, it's one of the scary things is where by next year we'll be most of the way over the duty uh, increase hump. Um, like, I now price all of our stuff assuming full duty, which is nuts because, um, you know, that makes a big difference into the cost pricing that we, that we, that we have, but you sort of have to. It's a future-proof the pricing, right? Um, but so, yeah, once we're a 11 or 12,000 hectare brewery, you may as well be a 60,000 hectare brewery or indeed a, you know, million hectare brewery <laughs> in terms of duty that you're paying. So, like, that's a challenge. Um, it's a big one, but it's that is just part of being in this industry, isn't it? There are various people who are trying to fight on our behalf on that. But, um, yeah, we are we're taxed a lot. Um, you know, being independent is it's not easy you don't have you don't have big resources i mean i've got Tim, so many plans that would be such good plans but um you just need <laughs> you just need some cash to do them you know and um yeah okay crowdfund or debt or you know more private equity stakeholders i guess you can have like as in private holdings not private equity companies um although i guess that's an option too <clears throat> but um you know, it's it's tough. It's tough because we're in a capital intensive business and, um, you know, you really got to be on top of your finances because that's crucial to running a good brewery or rather just running a brewery that doesn't run out of money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like headwinds, headwinds are plentiful, but I also am totally convinced that you can have your cake and, and eat it too in this industry. Um, and I don't mean that as like a greed thing. I mean it more as like if you have a honest like truthful approach if you make the best kind of beer that you possibly can if you like carefully invest to make the best product that you can if you treat people well um, and get a lot out of them because of that 
Um, and if you are good at your jobs in terms of customer service, in terms of like getting your beer out there, distribution, if you're smart, you know, if you, I don't know, export carefully, that kind of thing, then, you know, not only can you survive, but you can flourish. Um, not easy at all to do all those things because, I mean, every single day you're faced with a potential compromise. Um, you know, oh, should we just accept that, that deal? Because this guy said, you know, this pricing or that pricing or this many pallets for, for that route to market or what have you. And it, I mean, it's tough to say no, but the truth is saying no is vital because that's staying true to a course that allows you to sort of keep living a certain way, I guess. Um, just avoiding slippery slopes. If you can do all of that, then, then you can be fine. And I suppose looking at the, the wider industry, you've obviously been a keen observer with how sort of the maturation of the US brewing industry has played out. And you've previously given some thoughts on how the UK will go you know, or, or, or the route the UK may take. What are your main concerns for the, the collective independent industry in terms of the threats of big beer masquerading as craft? I mean, my, my main concern on all that front is just that independence becomes a rounding error as a percentage of craft beer. Because um, if that happens, then you've, then you've, you've kind of lost uh, like the national battle for shelf space or draft tap space or whatever it may be. Like if craft beer is, if independent craft beer is just, let's say, 10% of all craft beer, then craft beer drinkers are basically not drinking independent craft beer. They're just drinking macro masquerading or, or, or whatever. But it's, you know, that there's no real independent market if that's the case. So, I mean, maybe it's dramatic to say that you've lost, but it's just craft beer will not be associated with independence if that's where the market ends up with. Craft beer will be its own thing. I'm not too sure what it would be. You'd need a crystal ball maybe to figure that out. You know, look at America. They've held on to... 55% of value of craft beer being independent. 45 is, is like his macro, the uh, you know, Goose Islands and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they've carved out their corner and that's not really going away anymore. Like for every big sale that happens, it's chipped away at, but they've, they've got critical mass and now it's like a self-sustaining thing, I think. Their consumers care enough over there to keep it all going. Um, so they're not going to become 10% of the market. It just it won't happen now. The BA is too strong. Um, consumer interest is too is too like vibrant. <laughs> you know they're like uh, just incredibly obsessive over there about about craft beer. Um, you know we've got those challenges ahead of us. If we can't make our consumers like craft independent craft beer like evangelists uh and if we can't get an industry body that is actively protecting our our corner then then we could end up just 10 percent, and um then we've we've kind of lost and i don't know what will happen in that case but all i know is that we're still around 70 percent. so like we can still do it but it is going to you know but we need to make some changes kind of now Thanks to Sam McMeekin and the team at Gypsy Hill. McMeekin told us what needs to be done and highlighted some impactful figures projecting the growth of big beer as craft at the cost of independent craft. He wants to see a truly independent trade body who will lobby for the taxation and regulatory change we need and become a powerful advocate for independence. 
McMeekin will continue this conversation in his talk at the Brewers' Congress, taking place in Westminster, London, on the 28th of November. For full information and tickets, visit congress.brewersjournal.info.